0: The world is full of noise and chaos more than ever. We have this amazing thing on the internet and our interconnectedness and our notifications. They're all amazing, but it's like it's too much. Uh, If you had a club and there was no bouncer and you just let everything in, (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. how many of us approach our digital lives, right? Like there's no bouncer at the door. We're reachable. Pings can come when they come and hopefully they don't come at the wrong time. But there are more and more tools you can use to create that bouncer for yourself so you're not at the will of other people.
1: Welcome to Freedom Matters, where we explore the intersection of technology, productivity and digital well-being. I'm your host, Georgie Powell, and each episode we'll be talking to experts in productivity and digital wellness. We'll be sharing their experiences on how to take back control of technology. We hope you leave feeling inspired, so let's get to it. This week, we welcome Jeremy Redleaf, an Emmy Award winning artist, entrepreneur, and the co founder of Cave Day, the world's most focused community. Their research backed method is used by workers and companies in over 40 countries to do better work in less time with fewer distractions. Jeremy speaks and writes about the future of work for sites including Fast Company and Thrive Global. As a facilitator, he helps founders, teams, and companies improve their relationship to work. This week, we'll be discussing minimalism, the power of rituals, how to achieve flow, building deep connections via Zoom, and the future of work. Jeremy, welcome to the Freedom Matters podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're really grateful to speak to you.
0: Georgie, I'm also grateful. Happy to be here. Favo,
1: I just wanted to start by asking you, where did the idea for Cave Day come from? What inspired you to create Cave Day?
0: Yeah. So I've been a freelancer for my entire career working for myself. And so I've always had to make up the rules and always had to be my own manager. Right. And a few years ago, the manager inside of me was like, hey, Jeremy, you're trying to be a writer and you don't have time to write. Um, And I looked at my schedule and I had like so much going on and it was all great stuff but I didn't know how to organize my time and protect my time. And I didn't even know what deep work was yet. And so I kind of freaked out and I, I was in my therapist's office and I said, I need to take a cave day. And he was like, what's a cave day? And I, and I came up with some rules. I read some articles and I went off the grid for a full day, took a cave day, shut out all the stuff, did one thing for the whole day. I wish I knew about freedom on that day, but I didn't yet. And, uh, and I got so much done. It was amazing. It was really depleting. Like, I was just spent for days afterwards. And I was just curious about it. I was like, maybe there's a way to to make this energizing, right? That was really depleting and helpful, but maybe there's a way to make it energizing and helpful. And so, with two collaborators, we came together, we ingested all the research we could find, and we decided to throw a cave day in New York, uh, a full day on a Sunday for all our friends who said they wanted to write a book for five years and never did it. And, you know, so we had all our friends come, and they, of course, had these like transformational experiences. And we were just doing it as a one off of, and they were like, nope, we need this. Please come back and do it again. So we started doing them in New York. After a while, we started to get some press and we started to do them online for people around the world. And then when the pandemic hit, we were able to really just scale up our coverage and create this kind of Peloton for work, all these these group-focused sessions all day long for a community that's grown to be in now over 40 countries.
1: I was interested. When all those people first came together in New York, why were they so productive? How does the act of gathering help us to focus on meaningful work?
0: Well, the first thing we did is we took their phones away. We like had a <laughs> little locker system, and uh, and we Priya Parker talks a lot about in the art of gathering, like the the power of the intentions of the experience. And so, you know, they were paying for, to be in an experience and walking into an experience where no phones are allowed. We're all trying to work on one thing at a time, and there were breaks in between, right? Because the brain can't focus for more than about you know 50, 52 minutes at a time with any sort of regularity. And so we were breaking every hour to energize and, and to connect. And what I think people realized was I'm not alone in this, right? All these other amazing people are also fighting these things too. And the power of a really uh, clear event with really clear rules and people feeling um, connected to each other. And then the power of body mirroring. It's easier to work with focus while around other people that are working. I think all those things sort of came together to make it such a powerful event.
1: So tell me more about the rules. So you mentioned the breaks every hour, sort of 52 minutes, let's start moving. What other rules, no phones, working on one single task?
0: Yeah, so those are the main rules of the cave. So like phones out of sight, research shows that even having it in sight, even if it's turned off, can reduce your cognitive performance. Closing off in-screen notifications, really creating like a cave-like environment for yourself. We mm-hmm. talk about chefs a lot, you know, chefs when they're um, in, a, in a professional kitchen, talk about mise en place, the idea of having just the right tools for the meal they're going to make, uh, no extra things up, out. And so we say, why not work mise en place? Why not having only the tools you need up, close everything else out, right? Just take it off the table. You know, as as freedom users know, it's really powerful to just take decisions off the table so those are the rules and then the experience is guided so you can sort of uh, let go of things so we run time for you we don't tell you exactly how long their sprints are because there's a lot of really interesting research about how letting go of time is correlated with the flow state so we're going to run the thing we're going to tell you what to do and when we're going to keep your energy up and all you need to do is show up and come with your full self like you will get you know more done and feel better about it
1: I love this idea of minimalism and work. It's something we haven't had discussed yet on the podcast, but this idea of just take the tools that you need. You talk about chefs, but are there other industries, other professions where you see sort of a similar approach applied that's really successful? I mean, (laughs) in your past creative life, was that a thing?
0: That's interesting. I have to think about that more. Uh, the first thing that came to mind was just like the uh, hospital, right? We really want to make sure they don't get the okay. tools for the surgery we have, okay. we, we need uh, out. Nothing, hopefully nothing else. But it really does seem like one of the challenges of our time and one of the tasks of our time for us is to learn how to do that for ourselves. Like the world is full of noise and chaos more than ever. We have this amazing thing on the internet and our interconnectedness and our notifications. They're all amazing, but it's like it's too much. Uh, if you had a club and there was no bouncer and you just let everything in, <laughs> that's how yeah. many of us approach our digital lives, right? Like there's no bouncer at the door. We're reachable. Pings can come when they come and hopefully they don't come at the wrong time. But there are more and more tools you can use to create that bouncer for yourself. So you're not at the will of other people.
1: Yeah, interesting. I want to come on to caves in the virtual space and cave day how it is today and in, in a little bit before I get there. I was really interested to understand more about some of your physical desk setup rituals, because I think they're really helpful for our audience. You talk about these props that you have to inspire work. Can you talk a little yeah, bit about so, how you're set up and how you recommend people set themselves up?
0: Totally. So uh, there's some really interesting new research around the power of ritual and the power of physical spaces to impact our bodies and our minds. So we talk about having a dedicated space for your work, even if you're working from home, that's just your workspace can help us switch modes more easily, right? Because one of the challenges in working today is that context switching, right? We can use, you know, both location and rituals to move through those spaces quicker, Otherwise, we're leaving efficiency on the table. I try to always have water nearby because even a 2% dehydration can affect your cognitive performance. I'm going to drink a glass, right, uh, a sip right now. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I often collect tabs on my browser, but I, I use a tool called OneTab that, that allows you to quickly get all back down to one tab and have a list of the things that you had open. So I'm always looking for things that can quickly move me back into that minimalist space that I want.
1: In that question, you said that there's lots of new research about space and work. Is there anything in particular from that research that you wanted to highlight?
0: In the body of research around the flow state, it is an altered space, right? And so we have to treat it with that sort of mystical reverence. And that uh, often means adding in rituals and treating it with a little more of a, I would say, sacredness. Athletes are great inspirations here, right? Mm -hmm. Not only when they're uh, the way they approach their sport, which is I'm going to practice deliberately. I'm going to look at how I did. I'm going to try something new. They have this sort of like beautiful cycle of getting better and better that yeah. we can also apply to how we work but but if you look at athletes you'll see so many of them do like you know, ritualize things before they take the free throw, before they go down the ski slopes. And that's not just like a superstition thing. There's actually really interesting research out of Harvard Medical School around the power of ritual, not just to trick our brains like a placebo, but to actually create changes in our bodies. And some people like actually wear a hat, like I have my work hat that I put on and I put it off and some people- you know, Fred has I, one I too. A, Definitely. Yeah, like I, I just sh-
1: realized Fred always has the same hat on. I've got to talk to him about that. Is that, no. is that a freedom hat that Fred has? <laughs>
0: yeah. the the hat of freedom like that's powerful in the cave we do claps and and snaps and just things all together in in sync one to sort of sync up and two to to move into a a new kind of space
1: so let's talk more about that let's talk more about flow and what flow really is in a way it's kind of a sense of loss of time and it changes your perception of time that's an element of it but tell me more about how you understand flow and, and the research you've read about it and yeah what it really means to you
0: Sure. Yeah. It seems to uh, be mean a lot of different things to different people. So, originally coined by Mihai Ching Set Mihai in his seminal book in the 19, 1970s, he was a psychologist and a researcher. And it was the, describing the state where you lose consciousness of yourself, time to, starts to do weird things, but you sort of uh, rise to the height of your intelligence. You're able to ride things that are a little challenging, but you're sort of able to rise to the occasion. And, uh, and research shows that we're happier when we're in this state. We also learn better. A lot of amazing uh, things. And everyone has an experience. With it in some form, in some activity. Some people hit flow when they knit. Some people hit flow when they're right. It's a mystical thing and we can't force it, right? We can only create the conditions for it. The conditions Mm -hmm. start with monotasking. You can't hit flow when you're multitasking. You probably can't hit flow if your nervous system isn't regulated. So we have to take Mm -hmm. care of some basic things first before we can even hope to hit it. And then, you know, there's a piece of the critic that's at play. We have to sort of like put the critic aside. That's that self consciousness piece. How do we get into a space where we're not judging ourselves at all? We're just letting it flow out of us. So that's, a, again, that's a, a challenging, complex process for every person individually. There are activities you can do to sort of work on it. Stephen Kotler has done some really interesting research about how to trigger flow. And you can practice morning pages or activity for that because it just gets you into the habit of like of not judging and just sort of writing free form, seeing what comes out. And, and that can be helpful, too, as you're trying to strengthen the muscles around flow.
1: Interesting. And that comes back to that athlete idea of actually we can train ourselves to be able to get into flow and to be more effective at the way that we work, if we're conscious about it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's fickle. Elizabeth Gilbert talks about it. like I show up to write and hopefully the muse joins me. And there's that element of it too. And we can't be too hard on ourselves. We can't say, where's the flow? Like, you know, And and so many people forget that we're course still in a pandemic as we record this we're still in in sort of an upheaval of international politics and and these things affect us and and even our environments and how much nature we're getting all these things affect um, our nervous systems and so if you're finding yourself not able to hit flow it's worth inquiring what's going on for me is there anything that's keeping me hyper vigilant is there any emotion that i'm sitting on that that is sort of just blocking uh the the flow of things Mm. and we can often sort of uh, triage that way
1: But how much flow can we realistically expect to achieve in a day? Does it literally come down to how much we train our brains, like an athlete, to be able to work in flow? How can we moderate so that deep work thinking days don't leave us feeling exhausted for the rest of the week?
0: Yeah, well, the, f- the first thing to identify is that not every task needs deep flow or deep work, right? We, You know, there are things that are yeah. a little less cognitively challenging. I'm going to yeah. do my bookkeeping and I don't have to probably be in the deepest flow to do that. Um, and then we also want to think about our energy, right? So our energy dips and peaks throughout the day based on our chronotype. Uh, you want to ask yourself, when are you the most awake? And that's probably when you want to do your deepest work. The answer is like, you should do the amount of deep work that is appropriate for the kinds of tasks that you're going to do. I would say, you know, if you're looking for consistency, a good uh, beacon is three to four hours a day
1: okay nice amazing so yeah coming on to cave day in the virtual experience tell me about how that kind of concept of community translates online and is it as powerful how so much strength you still get from being together even though you're just a small icon on the screen
0: Yeah. Well, it's a challenge we're trying to face in many different areas, right? Or our meetings as valuable, you know, virtually as in person. And I'm sure over time, you've figured out a way to connect over a screen. We've all kind of figured it out because we had to. So it is possible requires a little bit different facilitation and a little bit more prompting. But there's something, of course, magical about being in person with people that the digital space, I think, will never reach unless we're into the future and, you know, some far off virtual reality place. But for now... There's something magical about the chemical processes that happen when we're with each other that is probably challenging to replicate. We do it by by breaking people into small groups. That's like breakout rooms are amazing for that. So we can have caves of hundreds of people and then we can say, hey, why don't you share one thing that uh, you need to leave out of the cave today, consciously leave out of the cave uh, with these three people. And so, and now you've just shared a little micro vulnerability with three people um, from around the world. You, you know, you're talking to someone in uh, Zurich and somebody in South Africa, and you're in New York. It's just a really cool thing to just have like coworkers across the globe. We find it it's been powering the work for a ton of people during the pandemic, and from you know Emmy and Oscar-winning artists to like nine-to-fivers and, and retirees and uh, pastors and <laughs> lawyers. It's just a really diverse, eclectic group of people.
1: I asked Jeremy to quickly summarize what happens when you join a cave.
0: Sure. Think of it like a group fitness class. So, you show up, the instructor is friendly and nice and welcomes you and plays some music and tells you when the class is going to start maybe asks you a question or, you know, gives you a warm-up thing to do. And then we check in like we're going to get re- just like we did before. We want to get really clear on what we're doing. We want to get really clear on the order of operations. And we want to uh, connect connected because people are sort of a hidden value add with productivity so we're going to take a moment to get connected we're going to share in in small groups and then we're going to do a ritual together to move into our our first deep work sprint and then we're not going to tell you how long it's going to be we're going to it's going to be between 35 and 50 minutes we're going to gently bring you out kind of like a meditation we're going to do some breath work we're going to stretch we're going to share our progress via polls via chat via small group check-ins um and we're just going to keep it in, fun and interesting and alive, like watching a live stream. And when the cave is over, we celebrate our wins. It's really important, both uh, emotionally and, and research shows, to truly really mark our time and really make meaning out of our time and find the small wins. So every sprint of every cave, we're finding wins that we can claim for ourselves. And maybe it's just that you stayed the whole time. But yep. so we, we ended on a high note and then we send you on your way to your, your next one.
1: There's been extensive research on the impact of Zoom fatigue and how being on video calls drains us. How are Cave Day managing this element of a virtual co-working session?
0: Yeah, so everything is opt-in in Cave Day, including having your camera on. First thing we say is hide your self-view, right? Well, part of that fatigue, I believe, is around that self-view. So we're like seeing yourself, yes, catching yourself, oh, yes. is that what I look like? Do I look yeah. good today? Did I wear the right shirt, Georgie? Yeah. So hide your self-view, that's for every, any meeting. That's like our number one tip. And if you need to go camera off, go camera off. You are the manager of your experience and you should be, you know, asking yourself constantly, what do I need? Yeah. I think it in, in general it, it applies more to just like long drawn out meetings where we have to be on camera and, and we're aware that we're on camera and we got that see that little green light on our screen. So yeah. it's less of a thing with the cave, because uh, it's like a different relationship to the camera, but we're very conscious of the fact that it got a different uh, appetite for for zooming and, and can easily get burned out.
1: Yeah, nice. And then how do you, where do you see this going from here? How do you see it evolving? What's your vision for collaborative work, for focus, for work and flow? Where is this all fitting into the future of work?
0: Yeah, well, so in the age of knowledge work, and we define knowledge workers as people that use their brains and their computers to create value, deep work is always going to be the superpower. And until our offices are built for deep work, it's always going to be a challenge to do there. Um, you know, it seems like we're moving towards a, a world of hybrid or like a little in person and a little not in person. And so mm-hmm. uh, your, your value as a knowledge worker is going to be tied to your ability to do deep work. How good are you at doing it? And how good are you at making the time to do it? So we don't see the need for this going away. we'll certainly see the kinds of people change and the kinds of things they need from a service change. But the age of distraction and the desire for deep focus is not going anywhere. And in a world of hybrid work, each individual worker probably has to work a little bit harder to do that. So I'm bullish on tools like uh, ours <laughs> to uh, continue to support people in this new normal.
1: I agree entirely. Um, what I'm interested in is, I mean, what proportion of people do you think are starting to work in this new way where they're consciously cutting through the noise to do deep work versus still caught up in the, the spirals of productivity, and inverted commas, and busyness?
0: It's hard to say. We've we've got this little um, micro culture that we've created where everyone knows about deep work and technology blockers and focus and all these things and monotasking. Um, and of course, there's a huge uh, world of people out there who have never heard of any of this stuff. I always have to remind myself like, oh, right. Most people don't know this kind of thing. More people are aware that there's, a, there's problems and there's definitely a growing awareness of the boundaries between work and, and life have gotten thinner and thinner and like you know, in many teams that we work with, people feel like they always have to be reachable and and there's obviously a lot of burnout and overwhelm. So I think most people are aware that something is not right about it or something needs to change and not, yeah. and of course not as aware of paths like ours. Cal Newport is sort of the hero of our space and he writes in The New Yorker and I think hopefully over time that will become more and more mainstream as a concept. It starts with the awareness that like something is not working about this, which I think we're at.
1: Yeah. A world without email. We had into with him talking about that. And it was just so obvious. (laughs) But once Cal points out and then you're like, yes, no, of course. And actually at Freedom, we only work using project boards and it's transformed my life. It's brilliant it just makes life so much easier.
0: For sure. Yeah. And a lot of people have a really unhealthy relationship to their inbox or whatever box they think is the place where people need them. <laughs> a lot of the work yeah. we do is helping people really question that. What is urgent? Maybe I can tell people how to reach me in an urgent space so I can you know go into the cave, so I can go off the grid and actually do what I need to do. When we work with teams, that's where we start. Like, have we ever talked about what it looks like when we're doing deep work and how to escalate when there's an issue because we're all just worried about these mystery issues that could come up but we can actually have a conscious conversation about this and create a better solution for everybody
1: so coming back to you a little bit more just to wrap up I'd love to understand more about your career and how did you end up creating a technology company
0: sure yeah so I'm a a writer director producer sometimes I perform I used to be a a voice artist I was on Sesame Street for a bunch of years no way that's amazing I didn't
1: know that I uh, missed yeah. that in your background. Which character are oh, you?
0: You didn't do the deep research. Um, I, <laughs> I, uh, I did. A, a, I was a a, a character named gonegan who was like a, a little shy fairy that talk like this. A friend, <laughs> friend of Abigail <Abby> <laughs> Anyway, so I've always been in the arts, and because I was in the arts, I always sort of you know had a foot in, in uh, being an entrepreneur and, and small business owner. And I started a website for the underemployed during the last recession called Odd Job Nation. And uh, I often just try interesting things that start as art for me. Like Cave Day was an artistic expression at first. Like this is just a cool thing for the world and for my friends when yeah. they accidentally turned into a business. And that's happened a couple of times. Then there was so much energy around Cave Day as an idea, just sort of I could just see that in people's eyes, like they got it and they're, and it felt like the right thing at the right time. So when that happens, I just kind of teach myself things. So like, cool, I guess I should learn all the no code tools out there and like find a developer that can do the harder things.
1: Yeah, nice. And it, I think it does, it, it kind of your eyes do light up because it cracks so many of these unsolved problems of working in a hybrid world. Like how do we still feel connected? How do we still have community? How do we... And prioritize, how do we hold ourselves accountable, how do we get deep work done, kind of so many different pieces of it.
0: We can start to uncouple these things from our jobs, right? In the past we had to rely on our manager for some of this, and sometimes our manager was good at this, and sometimes our manager was not good at this. And sometimes mm-hmm. the environment of the work helped our work get better, and sometimes it didn't. So it's sort of a, a, an uncoupling of these things, right? I can work at a regular job, but use all these other tools to enhance my performance um, that are not dependent on this job.
1: I reflected back on an earlier episode we had with Jonathan Garner, who talked about the culture of you, this concept that now company cultures can be augmented with a collection of individual cultures, which we can build whilst working from home. Interactions with our neighbours, barista, other solo workers can all spark creativity, help solve problems and make our work better.
0: For sure. Yeah. At some point we said it's like having the water cooler, but not having to actually work with any of the people that you're chatting with at the water cooler. So yeah. you know, it's like all the benefits of, so, you know, when I'm in a cave and, and a teacher shares in a breakout room that she's like desperate to finish our lesson plans and she does, I'm like, that's amazing. And that has nothing to do with what I do. And so I can truly root for you from a place of of humanity, right? It's not about competition. It's not about jealousy. It's like you're in a totally different universe and that's awesome and good for you. And yeah. I'm inspired by you.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure there are lots of examples where they actually, it brings practical inspiration as well, like creativity that can help you solve a problem, which is from something completely unrelated, but, but it's useful. Totally, yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. They, right. We always, the creativity people always talk about those sort of unexpected connections and, and things that, that uh, can come from that randomness.
1: Amazing. So when you look to the future of work and you look at the landscape of what the work, future of work is going to look like, how do you see it panning out? How do you think all of us little knowledge workers are going to be working in five to 10 years time?
0: <laughs> oh man. Does anyone like this question? It's so hard to know.
1: I me save it for my favorite people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um this pandemic thing is it it really accelerated a lot of stuff, right? We all at the same time had to learn how to survive using these new tools, the ways in which it saves money and time. I've seen a lot of people move out of the cities where they were going into the office every day. So this world of hybrid work isn't I don't think is going away, especially in industries where competition is fierce, they're gonna to have to lean into it even more. So I think we're gonna see the tools get better and better at closing the gap on that intimacy and the things that, that we currently feel like are pain points of technology. At some point I do believe that someone will solve Zoom fatigue. I believe that at some point it will feel human than it does now, right? I feel we've mm-hmm. we've all learned how to like bring the humanity out of it and out of ourselves in it. I've been in plenty of Zooms where that were heartfelt and like tears were shed and I really felt the other person, but it's hard. Um, So I believe that, you know, in the future, it'll be easier. So I I think we're going to have a better and better system. The question is just whether the people in positions of power respect the the sort of dignity of workers and the dignity of work-life balance. Are we going to see major companies moving to the four-day work week? They keep trying. Would we ever see other countries follow that? I forget which country uh, banned emails after 6 p.m. France, Um, I think. France, yeah. So are we going to see these things happen at a cultural level? that can help us do a better job of taking care of our well-being as these tools get better and better.
1: Yeah, amazing. And then just because I think you're a fascinating, inspiring person yourself, where do you get your inspiration from? What do you think feeds you?
0: Oh, man. Uh, I think that a lot of my art is just processing my experience. I'm definitely trying to craft little worlds and micro universes uh, that have the things that I wish existed. I was a, before I had Cave Day like I would go to, to co-working spaces and you know they all promised this great amazing you know community experience um, that would also make my work better and more inspired and it didn't work. So part of making Cave Day was the question could this actually exist? Could there be a workspace that made your work better? So I think a lot of my art is, is around trying to make the world that I wish existed.
1: And then finally, there's a question we ask all our guests, which is, what does productivity mean to you?
0: The P word. So uh, we, we try not to use it at Cave Day because it's so loaded for so many people. I think aside from the sort of loaded nature of it, I think for me, it's being effective with the things that matter in a way that makes me feel in, in control of my destiny let me repeat that. Be, getting the things done that matter in a way that makes me feel in control of my experience. Yeah.
1: Okay. Nice. I like that. I like that a lot. Very quick to the point on that one, Jeremy. You're a, I can tell <laughs> do, you're a quick thinker.
0: Do people? No, I'm. I'm not. I was. My. I was. My heart was beating. Do people have longer <laughs> answers?
1: <laughs> sometimes it takes about five minutes to work out what the statement is and you're straight to work you had take two oh, so there you go <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: that's, that's, I'm going to take that as my win for the day
1: <laughs> Jeremy it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today thank you so much for joining us uh, I really enjoyed speaking to you
0: oh man likewise thanks for taking the time and freedom users are on the perks page so if you want to come check out a month of cave day for free I believe that you can via freedom
1: you absolutely can yeah all um, our premium users can indeed experience cave day thank you for joining us on freedom matters if you like what you hear then subscribe on your favorite platform and until next time we wish you happy healthy and productive days